Here we go. Even by myself, I don't get a four. It's still Riverside.fm. I'm all alone. The least you could do is give me five, four, three, two, one, but it is wholly incapable of doing that. Welcome, welcome, welcome. For the fourth time, welcome to Fan Controlled Fandom. I am your solo host, Kenny Stevenson. As we mentioned um, uh, on our last show, two shows dropped pretty quickly from us. As we mentioned in our last show, Alex is going to be out of the country. He is living it up, living his best life. All of the things that people like to say when they're trying to make you think that their life is better than it is on social media. That is what Alex is doing. And here's what I am doing. I am doing a solo podcast and it's still going to be fan effing tastic because that's just how we roll here at fan control fandom. And where are we? We are in the Cape space. We are talking about all pieces of fandom where people wear capes, where people wear capes. <sighs> that's what happens. Uh, you know, people wear capes in like Star Wars space type things. People wear capes in like House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones, Dungeons and Dragons. They wear capes when they're superheroes. If you are wearing a cape in your fandom space, we're going to be talking about you. And what are we talking about today? Well, if Alex were here, this would be our big Blue Beetle podcast, but because he's not here, and I don't want to take that away as Blue Beetle being the first Latinx superhero being presented his own with his own their own movie, and Alex being a Latin man, I want him to be able to speak on that. So what are we doing? Well, coming this week is uh, on Wednesday is Ahsoka, the new Star Wars television show, highly anticipated show, uh, produced and directed by Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni is the person who basically, you know, Lucas, Lucas told all of the writers of Clone Wars that Anakin had a Padawan. And um, hold on, I got to turn something on that's not on. Oh, I can't do it while recording. Stuff's happening. Uh, and uh, Dave Filoni said, no, he, he doesn't have a Padawan. And Lucas said, yes, he, he effing does. So he basically created Ahsoka Tano. So... And what we are getting in this show, since we have seen Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Harris, since we have seen, and I should have looked up the actress's name, but she's a wonderful actress playing Sabine Wren, we are basically getting Rebels, Star Wars Rebels. So we are going to go back and look at what is arguably the best episode of Star Wars Rebels, Twilight of the Apprentice Part two and it is what most people is on their list of things you need to watch to get ready for ahsoka and guess what i did i rewatched it but first i have got to get in this is this is going to be a shorter show this is not going to be our normal almost hour and 45 minute uh shindigs but you know uh, we're gonna have some fun i gotta get into the quick pieces of nerd news let's go ahead and play that stinger and i will point to the sky by myself like a true crazy person Yep, I am definitively fallen off the deep end because I just looked at myself when absolutely dead in the eyes and pointed at the sky, which none of you guys heard because you all just heard the quick hit stinger, but I can't hear it on my end. And but I do hear that beeping of a garbage truck. Garbage trucks love to drive by while we're recording. So again, we are in. I mean, it's like day 107 of the writer's strike. The writers have sat down with the AMPTP this week, although there's been no uh, headway either way there. Um, we're still in uh, an actor strike. I, I'm walking the pickets every day. You can find me at uh, Amazon. Come over to Amazon Studios and walk with me every day around 10 to 11. I am there doing it. And so we don't have a ton of stuff because we don't, nothing is shooting, nothing is casting. So anything, the news that we have is either based on stuff that is coming out, stuff that is already finished or stuff that was previously done because something that we never got to see. And I'm only bringing this up because I am a absolutely massive Edgar Wright fan. I'm a huge Edgar Wright fan. The Cornetto trilogy 
of Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End is one of my favorite things. I love the TV show Spaced. I love Scott Pilgrim versus the World. I love Baby Driver. I love uh, Night Last Night in Soho. Um, I love Edgar Wright. For if you don't remember, the first Ant Man movie was supposed to be directed by Edgar Wright, and in an interview this week, the ed- the editor Colby Parker Jr., who was the attached editor to uh, edit Edgar Wright's Ant Man, and then went on to direct or edit edit the actual Peyton Reed Ant Man. During a chat with the direct, he said that the acclaimed director wanted to lean deeper into the movie's heist theme by equipping protagonist Scott Lang with a much bigger team. His film, it was still a heist film, but remember how we have three mains, meaning in this you have uh, Ant-Man, the Wasp, and then you've got the original Ant-Man, Michael Douglas. Um, I think there were like 15 people within the gang. The gang was going to do the big heist, the editor recalled. Another major aspect that Wright really pushed for was a separate story that was largely isolated from the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't think there would have been any other Marvel characters set up. I think he was going to be a standalone. He didn't want any other Marvel characters in the film. I don't think the Falcon would have been in Ant-Man. If you don't remember, uh, in the Peyton Reed version of the film, uh, the Falcon shows up and Ant-Man has to go to the Avengers compound to get something. Now, while Wright was originally attached to pen the story and direct Ant-Man, the Shaun of the Dead creator ultimately dropped out of the project before production began. Reports claim that Marvel Studios commissioned one of its in-house writers to rework the script after months of struggling to break the story, and the final draft lacked Wright's distinct voice and tone. So, you know, it might have been that. It also might have been the fact that he didn't want to put Falcon in his movie. Either way, it's really, it's one of these things that between this and the Lord Miller solo, like what we got as a result, like I like, I'm, I know I'm kind of in, uh, you know, Ant-Man's kind of a smaller film. I love the Ant-Man movies. I think what Peyton Reed did with the Ant-Man movies is really interesting and fun. I think anytime you're just letting Paul Rudd be Paul Rudd, if you're watching only murders in the building right now (laughs) is you're you're operating in a good space when you do those kinds of things. So it was like it was you know it's fine, but gosh darn it, I would have loved to have seen an Edgar Wright directed Marvel movie, which I don't think we're ever going to get again because you know now you can't make a Marvel property without having some sort of tie into something just because there's just so many characters they've expanded out so far and you can't, it's so hard to be able to pull back in unless you're somebody like James Gunn, who's making a third movie for them. So I don't know, maybe he should have done, should have done one for the team and then Ant-Man 2 and then Ant-Man Mania would have been Edgar Wright just really getting funky with the Guga, which thanks for tuning in today to hear such amazing quotes as Edgar Wright getting funky with the Guga. Yeah, that's... <laughs> That's the stuff. That's the stuff that we're here for. Edgar Wright getting funky with the Google. But I got to tell you, I just recently watched. I got to tell you, I'm talking to myself, even though you're listening to this. I'm just talking to myself. I got to tell you, me. Um, I was recently watching uh, The World's End, which is the third in the Cornetto series. God, what a great movie. Like such like a movie that fits within the tone of the other two movies and has similar themes. Like all of those movies are about people, um, slackers, like basically not refusing to grow up or refusing to admit responsibility. And it's such kind of the culmination of all of those things, but then also like super serious has some really great, like kind of like, you know, it's about addiction. It's about, um, addiction. That's what, that's all I got right now. But it, the fact that it then also has, like blue robots and a, you know, a pub crawl. I mean, it's 
a truly, truly great film. And I think it's such a bummer that we're not going to get an Edgar Wright directed Ant-Man because he even did like a screen test of some of the, I don't know if you, I'm sure it's available online or maybe Disney has destroyed every copy of it. But for a minute there, there was like a little Edgar Wright teaser thing that he made and gosh darn it, it looked really cool. Um, But we're never going to see it. Something that was announced and I, I'm going to, I got to be real honest. I haven't even looked at this until, um, I haven't looked at the, the, the article, but apparently Apple TV plus has a Godzilla series called Monarch colon legacy of monsters. Now this is something that I just fully don't understand. Um, you know, we have talked on the show during our kind of turkeys show, um, Alex and I have talked about how the Godzilla movies, he had mentioned that the Godzilla movies was kind of like something he was kind of done with. And I, I kind of like agree. What I don't get is there is a, a legend. It's called leg. It's a legendary entertainment. They have a monster verse series, which currently consists of Godzilla Kong skull Island. Yes. Godzilla King of the monsters, Godzilla versus Kong, and a Netflix animated series called Skull Island. Now, besides the Netflix animated series, all of those other properties are are at, are set up at Warner Brothers. They are Warner Brothers things. And so, you know, when when Godzilla versus Kong came out, it came out at a time when um, movie theaters were just reopening, but uh, HBO Max was still releasing everything day and date on Max. And when Godzilla, all of those movies, Godzilla, Kong, Skull, all those movies are all Warner Brothers pictures and they all premiered on Max. So, but somehow, excuse me, I've been drinking water while I'm doing this. This Apple TV Plus series, which is going to be in this monster verse, is on is part of it. I whatever. So I don't know how anything works anymore. Part of the reason that's why we're striking every day is because nothing makes sense as to how Apple has access to this thing that Warner Brothers also was doing. But here's what we got. We got knowledge of the fact that one of the leads in this show is Kurt Russell. And here's an interesting thing. His son, Wyatt Russell, is going to be they're going to Wyatt Russell and Kurt Russell are going to be playing the same character. But Kurt Russell is going to be the older version. Wyatt Russell is going to be the younger version. Why it's taken so long, <laughs> over 10 years of Wyatt Russell's career, to figure out that you could do that, I don't know. But kudos to Apple, I guess, for, oh gosh, kudos. I don't, I don't want to give it anything to there. But here's what we got. The series tracks two siblings following in their father's footsteps to uncover their family's connection to the secretive organization known as Monarch. Clues lead them into the world of monsters and ultimately down the rabbit hole to Army Officer Lee Shaw, played by Kurt Russell and Wyatt Russell, taking place in the 1950s and half a century later where Monarch is threatened by what Shaw knows. The dramatic saga, spanning three generations, reveals buried secrets and the ways that epic earth-shattering events can reverberate... Earth-shattering events can reverberate through our lives. That is just like blobity blob. But I'm sure there's something to that. Um, the series was developed by Chris Black and Matt Fraction, which is very interesting. Chris Black worked on Star Trek Enterprise, and Matt Fraction is a former comic writer who is uh, responsible for the the Hawkeye run that was the basis, the loose basis for the Hawkeye series. But that run of Hawkeye by Matt Fraction is fantastic so this is very cool uh to read this i went from very kind of like ho-hum to like oh okay you know there's you know ken watanabe's in the cast mari yamamoto anders holm kiersey clemens it's this is uh i wow i've talked myself into this i went from like i don't know if we need another thing here but here we go a premiere date has yet to be announced Beyond this show, Godzilla vs. Kong director Adam Wingard is, fo- is working on a follow-up to that film called Godzilla. I don't know. It's X-Kong. I don't know if that's supposed to be versus Kong. The New Empire. Anyway, there's some images that are out. You can see Kurt Russell. He's looking like Kurt Russell. And then there's Wyatt Russell, who definitely looks like a young Kurt Russell. Again, this was something. I don't know why it took us so long to uh, get there, folks, but we got there. 
Uh, let's see. What else do we have this week? Oh, here's something. So one of the movies that we, you know, it's ironically, um, Alex and I, when doing this show, more often than not end up reviewing movies that suck. I don't know if that's just how fandom has been going. We've, we've got some good ones. One of the ones, in fact, the last time I did a show by myself, we talked about Across the Spider-Verse. Now, Across the Spider-Verse did have a digital release. And people who are diehard fans, which, uh, you know, I would count myself in that, but people who have seen, who are buying the movie digitally and watching it over and over and over again are noticing that there are digital, there are differences between the theatrical and digital release. Here's what we say. So Chris Lord, Chris Lord, Phil Lord, and Chris Miller, who co-wrote and produced the animated smash hit, spoke to GamesRadar about the small changes fans had noticed in the digital release. The differences aren't due to tweaks in the story or adjustments to their creative vision. It's because the film was actually still in production for months after cuts were sent to theaters. Wow. This, holy cow. There was an international version that was made almost two months before the movie came out because it had to be translated into different languages. And these French censors have to decide what the rating of the movie is in Europe, Miller explained. Additionally, as they had been given extra time to keep working, Miller said that some of the folks involved just kept going. Certain crew members, people in the sound department or the animation team were like, oh, could we do this instead? Wow, I want to know what some of these differences are. Let's see if we can find it. It says small changes. Let's see. As somebody who works at Sony and has already done a huge, <laughs> huge thing, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, I've done a lot of work on this. I don't know if there's a different, let's see. Uh, this is not telling me anything that's different. Riveting, riveting podcast. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's a thing. So apparently if you watch, um, Across the Spider-Verse digitally, you might get a little different movie, which this is like, I think this is goes back to some of the things that we were talking about last week with um, effects people wanting to strike is that the people, not just effects, but animators are the, the work that they have to do to get these amazing, visually unbelievable things across the finish line is just something that is not, I don't think we've gotten to the point where we've, the uh, the the deadlines and the demand can't sync up because you know if they're still working on something even when it's currently out, that's tough, man. I mean, it, the movie's still fantastic. I'm sure the changes are minimal, but still, these people they, they gotta work and work, 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 work. I'm sorry, I just got a, something a message about the first reactions to Ahsoka and it's not loading. But whatever, we're not gonna do about anything about that because we are gonna be talking about Ahsoka later. Okay, something else that we are talking about here. Um, oh, shoot, I didn't find the article. Let me find the article on that. <laughs> oh, boy, here we go. This is going to take some time. This is going to take some vamping on my end. Uh, I, to peek behind the, the, the sausage controls, um, <laughs> there is a, a, a show document every week. And I look for stories and I post it. And that's what Alec and I, Alec, Alex, and I can look at to know what we're going to be talking about. And I went through and then I open up articles so that I can, um, there, I found the article so that I can then uh, know what to talk about. This is what, so Blue Beetle's coming out this week, okay? And there's been a lot of talk that we've we've been saying that this might be the end of the DCEU, although James Gunn has already said that the Blue Beetle is the first DCU character. We got a little bit of, a, of some more details on that, although very minimal, and they come from the director of Blue Beetle, uh, Angel Manuel Soto. Uh, he says that he has reassurance that the character of Jaime Reyes will continue and that all their work wasn't in vain. He said, yeah, that was for sure one of the elements of relief. It's the fact that all of this effort was not going to die during this regime change. We survived regime changes throughout this whole process. That's true. Blue Beetle was in development while a lot of stuff was going down. And that was a testament to the hard work that everybody put into it. There's also a belief in our characters who are now going to be part of this new DC universe 
especially Sholo's character and his whole family, and Bruna Marquezian's character. So knowing that they are going to continue to move forward in the DCU allowed me to feel relief for myself and for them. It's a testament to the amount of heart and talent that they have. Um, yeah, I, I think we touched on this last week. I don't, um, I don't know. Like this movie is so specific and it's such a uh, sideways character. So there's a lot of interest there, but also to just for representation's sake, like the fact that again, this is a, this is the first hero who is Latinx and is forward facing in a movie. We've had, you know, we've had, you know, I don't know what's happening. There's some, a lot of banging in the background, you know, Oscar Isaac played Moon Knight. Uh, I don't, they didn't specifically say whether his character was Latino. They, his character was Jewish, but Oscar Isaacs is a Latino man. So, you know, that's that, but this movie specifically does not only features uh, a Latino star, but is specifically um, steeped in the culture as well. And so to me, Anything that is going to amplify and give space and, you know, we talked about this before and I talk about this a lot with my writing partner who is um, Afro-Latino, that it's not just to put stories in familiar settings for Latino stories. Latino stories don't have to always be in the barrio or on the border. Latino stories can be, Latinx stories can be superhero stories. They can be rom-coms. They can be, you know, something like succession, like those, like it doesn't have to be in certain boxes. And that's why to me, like, regardless of how good or bad this movie is, I, it's important. And uh, you know, I'm glad that, you know, clearly James Gunn, who has a good track record, sees something in it and we're going to get more supposedly. I don't know if that means that we're just going to get another movie. I know, don't know. I think another movie is based solely on how much money this one makes, but I think the character coming back, I think that's not a, that's not a hard ass. You can actually have that. He can show up in anything coming up. There's a lot of things coming up. So there we go. Um, here's a movie that I did not know was happening, but apparently it is. Um, the Toxic Avenger. Yeah. I mean, we're really, this is, we're really stretching in the cave space, but this is a, this is a show I had no idea, a movie that I had no idea was happening. So Toxic Avenger is, you know, a very famous movie from the 80s that is all about the the, the trauma, which is uh, was a New York, oof, here we go, New York-based uh, kind of ultra-low budget um, studio that made just super low-budget movies and... Toxic Avenger was a movie about a guy, a janitor who falls into a vat of toxic waste and becomes this kind of like, you know, the Toxic Avenger. Uh, apparently, they're remaking this movie with Peter Dinklage. I am I'm absolutely floored. Legendary Entertainment, who we were just talking about with Godzilla, they are making a movie and it's being released teasing a timely environmental reimagining of the original 1984 film. Here's what we know. While the original film which premiered in 1984, almost 40 years ago, followed the fate of Melvin Ferd Junko, Mitch Cohen. Very, the guy's like a super dork, like an 80s dork. Like in, you know, like how 80s movies created this world that supposedly existed where there were nerds and like jocks. That this, that's what Melvin was, who goes from zero to toxic hero in a case of bullying gone awry. Macon Blair's contemporary take follows a hideously formed creature of superhuman size and strength all his own. Peter Dinklage stars as a downtrodden janitor, Winston Goose, who after falling into a vat of toxic waste becomes none other than the Toxic Avenger. This timely event reimagining is up to its eyeballs and environmental themes as Winston goes up against the evil forces of greed and corruption to save his son, his friends, and his community. Even as this story exists on its own terms, the spirits undoubtedly remains connected to the original. This is just like, wow. I, this is, I am floored that this is happening. Listen to some of the cast in this. Um, joining Dinklage are Jacob Tremblay, Academy Award nominated actor from The Room, Taylor Page from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Kevin Bacon, Kevin Mother effing bacon is in this movie. Elijah Wood is in this movie. Julia Davis, 
Johnny Coyne, Sarah Niles from Ted Lasso, and Jane Levy from Evil Dead. I'm assuming the reboot, not the most recent, not the one from the 80s. Uh, the upcoming Toxic Avenger, Avenger reboot is written and directed by the acclaimed filmmaker Macon Blair, who made a movie called Green Room. That's a really fun movie, actually. Wow. And it's going to premiere next month, September 21st at Fantastic Fest. Wow. Incredible. This is the kind of thing, if we weren't on strike, we could get interviews with Peter Dinklage talking about being in this movie that seems to me like if you're going to do this, like the the movies are not good. The original Toxic Avenger movies are bad and they are like can't be terrible. So if you're going to remake this, you got to go in that same way and lean in hard. So I got to imagine this is pretty interesting and could be kind of fun, but you don't get to get, we don't get to see Peter Dinklage on Hot Ones doing, you know, getting to the bomb at number eight and talking about this movie because the studios refuse to pay us. So, I mean, if that's not like a picketing sign right there, like I need to see Peter Dinklage on hot ones. I don't know what else is. You got to walk into the table, sit down and throw some, throw a big picket sign right in front of David Zasloff saying, Hey bro, here's reason enough to end this thing right effing now. I need to see Peter Dinklage eat the bomb on Hot Ones to promote this movie. Um, fascinating, fascinating, fascinating stuff. There's going to be water breaks, guys. I'm by myself. I'm talking for like an hour straight. Finally here, we briefly teased this last week. Um, Alex was talking about, we were talking about things that we were excited about coming up uh, in uh 2023 for the rest of the year he teased a little movie called rebel moon uh this is a Zack snyder directed movie which is hard to get behind but the concept behind it is or what what alec this is a wholly this is a non-ip based piece of content which you know, Zack Snyder has only kind of operated in the IP space. He's very like even Dawn of the Dead. It was her first movie was a remake of the Dawn of the Army of Dark Army of the Dead is still kind of operating in zombies. This is a wholly new piece of IP that the rumor is uh, he because he was tasked by he was at some point developing some sort of Star Wars piece of content. A feature Star Wars related feature and it didn't happen and then this kind of script grew out of that so this might this is like some real original hardcore sci-fi that's coming to Netflix and we are apparently going to get our first trailer next week coming on Tuesday so that'll be our first I mean and here's the thing that the guy can do we we're definitely not a pro Snyder podcast that's like been unequivocally obvious throughout the course of this thing that we've been doing. But the one thing the man can do is definitely create interesting visuals. So uh, I'm definitely, this is something that we were definitely kind of keeping our eye on. Um, I don't know if this is going to be any good. I would venture to guess it's probably not going to be good, but for like a Netflix watch that might have some interesting stuff to see in a wholly original thing. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it'll, maybe we'll get there. I'm sure this is something we'll probably talk about as we get closer to December, but whew, that's it. I made it. I made it through quick hits all by myself. Now we have one, we are on the fan controlled sports entertainment network. We are on the fan controlled TV podcast feed. One piece of sports news. Alex, he usually takes us out to the paddock. Let's see. I should have done this beforehand too. Let's see if I just Google Formula One racing, if any sort of news is there and I'll read it, pretending like it's something that Alex is talking about because, uh, you know, I don't know what's happening in the world of Formula One racing, but I, he did say that we have a break. So it is the silly season. Let's see. Oh, this was news that dropped just one hour ago. Formula One news, Red Bull wary dominance may not continue. Red Bull Racing has showcased unparalleled dominance in Formula One, amassing consecutive wins and setting an almost unbeatable track record. This is something that Alex has talked about on the show. 
Hold on while I'm uh, vamping here. Yet the team's leadership, specifically team principal Christian Horner, dismisses any notion of becoming complacent despite their overwhelming success. In an area where each Formula One race wins counts, Verstappen's victory at Spa took his win count to eight in a row. This achievement further solidified Red Bull's impressive track record with an all-time high of 12 straight victories. Sure, all that makes sense. He says, no one's allowing their mind to drift. I think that's a long, long championship. So they're just still taking it one race at a time. You know, you got to put, you got to put, you know, your pants on one leg at a time, just like everybody else. Whew. That was tough. Making it through Formula One racing talk was, was tough for me. Um, my piece of sports news. Uh, yesterday, the NBA schedule was released. Uh, we already knew the rumors. The big surprise for me as a Laker fan was, you know, we start on October 14th versus the Warriors. Not a big surprise there. But originally thought on Christmas, the Lakers always play on Christmas, that we were going to be playing the Clippers. However, it was announced yesterday when the schedule came out. It's actually going to be Lakers at home on Christmas Day versus the Boston Celtics. So that is interesting. Uh, always a good matchup, especially this year. The teams are uh, significantly better. Um, and I, I don't think the Lakers played against the Celtics with their current um, lineup. With uh, the, I think I believe they played them both times last year. They definitely didn't have – no, they didn't. They weren't at full strength. That was right. They did play after they got D'Angelo Russell. But it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, that's our pieces of sports news. Now, Alex usually handles – um, the, our corporate sponsorship for the shows. And, you know, he is, uh, he's always pounding the pavement. And what he did before he left was he actually sent me some copies. So I actually do have some, uh, copy for the, uh, the, the, uh, doing two things at once. <laughs> I have some copy for, our corporate sponsor for this for the week. And it's a small business on the corner of Crescent Heights and Pico here in Los Angeles. And it's named Beads, Beads, Beads. Crafting is having a moment. And don't you want to be a part of it? Here at Beads, 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 we have everything you need to make your own one-of-a-kind bracelets, necklaces, or charms. All shapes and sizes and fun for the whole family. So come on down to Beads, Beads, Beads. And no, we don't have those beads. Hmm. I meant to read these. I meant to read these before I did, but uh, didn't do that. So I don't have those beads, and I, I'm pretty sure I know what they're going for there. Anyway, anyway, our main topic. We're here to talk. So coming this Wednesday, we are going to get the two-episode premiere of the new Star Wars television show, Ahsoka. We have Rosario Dawson. We've already seen live action Ahsoka in uh, Mandalorian. She was in an episode of Book of Boba Fett, which was basically an episode of The Mandalorian. Now she's getting her own full show. And based on what we've seen from the trailers and even from the first teasing, when she walked out at Star Wars Celebration last year, Rosario Dawson walked out with Chopper. If you don't know who Chopper is, Chopper is the droid on the television show Star Wars Rebels. Rebels is a show that takes place from, we've talked about it on the podcast many times. It's a great, great show. It is an animated show that takes place. It was the first piece of Star Wars content that Disney created after they bought Lucasfilm. It is about, it takes place about five BBY before the Battle of Yavin up until just before the Battle of Yavin. And then we get a little bit of an epilogue, which takes us to after the Battle of Endor, which is where the time we are operating in during Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett. And we know that this series also takes place in that time range. The way Rebels ends, spoiler alert, there's going to, I should say spoiler alert for Rebels. I will try to keep it to just the episode that we're talking about, but because pieces of Ahsoka are dealing with what happens at the end of Rebels, I'm sorry. But it, it's still, if you go back and watch this show, it is still worth it. Um, but that epilogue ends with, there's a mural, uh, Sabine Wren, who is a, a Mandalorian, uh, she is also like a street artist. That's like her big thing. She decorated her own armor. She's like a, she's like a, she's like a tagger. She's incredible. 
she painted this amazing mural of all of them. And one of the members of the, of the Rebels crew, the Ghost is the name of their ship. His name is Ezra. He's kind of the Luke character, the young, um, jet, reluctant Jedi who becomes a Jedi master by the end of the series, um, who also was born on the same day as Luke and Leia. He was born on the same day as Order 66. He is gone missing. And Ahsoka turns to Sabine Wren and says, I think it's time basically to find Ezra. And so that's where a lot of people, and myself included, feel like we are going in this show. So because of that, to get ourselves ready, we are going to talk, and by we, I mean me, are going to talk about episode, season two, episode 22 of Star Wars Rebels. It's called Twilight of the Apprentice Part Two. This is a two-part episode, but the second part is the part that is kind of universally known as the best episode of Star Wars Rebels. And I think after we talk about it, you will be able to at least take away what I'm saying and be, and we'll agree. Let's get to a quick recap. This is going to be kind of a recap of both episodes 21 and 22, because it's one kind of long story. But the pieces of 22 that we're going to focus on the most are the parts towards the end with Ahsoka. Anyway, so before to give a little primer of who rebels are so in the rebels so ahsoka was not a uh was only a recurring character on star wars rebels star wars rebels you have a ship called the ghost you had your jedi who is kanan jarus jarus who formerly was known as caleb dune who uh survived order 66 you saw briefly the beginning of bad batch but is hiding the fact that he's a Jedi because the Jedis are being hunted by the Inquisitors. He leads a ship where, and he's kind of like the dad, and as to take the from um, Joanna Robinson and Mallory Rubin on their amazing uh, Ahsoka prep podcast on the Ringerverse. Um, Hera is their pilot. She's a Twi'lek, and they and her and Kanan have a little thing, and they make a little baby by the end. Oh, burps. Uh, they have a, there is, um, as my dog is leaving there, Sabine Wren. She is, I believe, two years, maybe three years older than Ezra. She is a former, uh, she's a former Mandalorian. She is somebody who was being trained in the, uh, uh, by the Imperials. She left, she, and so she is now part of the Rebels. We, and then there is Chopper, and then there is Zeb. Zeb, who we saw briefly in an episode of The Mandalorian in season three, he's a big, tall, kind of purple guy, um, who is, it's not like outwardly said, but pretty much has a queer relationship with uh, one of the defectors, General uh, Callus, who's a former Imperial who becomes part of the Rebels. They're kind of like known as having like a little fling. That's where we are. Okay, that's those are the, those are the characters. And then Ahsoka is somebody who, by the time this show is taking place, is a part of the rebellion as whatever the garbage men are doing behind me. Here we go. Ahsoka, Ezra, Kanan, and Chopper arrive on a place called Malachor. It is a Sith world long forbidden to the Jedi in search of knowledge, discovering a cavern. Can, geez, Louise, <laughs> every time I, the same thing happened last week, I was trying to talk and it sounded like there was just something going nuts in here. Containing a Sith temple amid the site of ancient of an ancient battlefield between Sith and Jedi who used cross-guard lightsabers, which is kind of like what we see with Kylo Ren. They soon are attacked by a new Inquisitor, the Eighth Brother, who is hunting a mysterious hermit calling himself Old Master. When Ezra encounters the hermit, he reveals himself to be Maul, a.k.a. Darth Maul. For those of you who don't know, Darth Maul, who died at the end of Phantom Menace, he is revealed to be alive in the Clone Wars and is also in Rebels, has a great arc in Clone Wars, uh, then shows up at the end of Solo, the movie, live action, and then he is in Rebels. And then he does actually, there's an amazing episode of Rebels, Rebels with Darth Maul and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Anyway, uh, Maul offers to help Ezra to get into the temple, aiding him in recovering a Sith holocron. Holocrons are things that Jedi and Sith have that basically contain information. 
When the other Inquisitors arrive and alert Darth Vader of their presence, Ezra convinces the group to work together in spite of Kanan's fears that Maul is corrupting his student, allowing them to finally kill the three Inquisitors. However, Maul soon betrays the group and blinds Kanan with his lightsaber, revealing his true intentions of making Ezra his apprentice. Although sightless, Kanan dons the mask of a fallen Jedi temple guard and throws Maul from the top of the temple. Ahsoka finally faces Darth Vader. That's right. Darth Vader rolls up on this one, who has cornered Ezra, Ezra and destroyed his lightsaber and comes to terms with his identity as Anakin Skywalker as she engages him in a duel while Kanan and Ezra remove the Sith holocron. Unable to abandon her old master, Ahsoka stays within the crumbling temple and stalls Vader while Ezra, Kanan, and Chopper flee the planet and reunite with the ghost crew. Maul flees Malachor in one of the Inquisitor's ships, while Vader, who survived the destruction of the temple, walks away as a convoy watches from above, and an unknown figure is briefly seen limping into the shadows. It's Ahsoka. As the ghost crew tries to cope with their losses, Ezra continues to meditate on the Sith holocron and finally succeeds in opening. You have to be a Sith in order to open the holocron. And then note, this is the last episode to take place in 3BBY. That means because in the next season, we jump ahead, I believe, like three, about a year. Yeah, that's right. We jump up to 2BBY. So why is this one of the best episodes? Well, I'll just give my initial reaction to this podcast. So this episode, this this is now my second time watching this. This is just, this is, to me the real strength of this show. What makes Rebels a really cool show is, you know, if you listen to way Dave Filoni, who is the the big kind of, you know, Lucas had a big hand in Clone Wars and kind of, you know, was the master and Dave Filoni was the apprentice because master and apprentice is a thing that comes up in this show a lot. And it feels like this is the thing that's going to be coming up in Ahsoka. So that's why I feel like this is an important kind of show to not only show us some about Ahsoka's character, but also this idea of apprentices and apprenticeship in all of these shows. We saw it with Luke and Grogu. Like this is a theme in Star Wars. So this show is so good because if you talk about the way Filoni describes um, what Rebels is, Rebels was initially the kind of pitch on it is that it's kind of like the A-team where you have a crew of people who are doing little jobs um, for the rebellion or for themselves week in and week out. So there, there, and there occasionally is some greater through lines, like, and all of the characters show up like Lando Calrissian's in a couple episodes, a princess Leia's in a couple episodes. Um, there is no Han, but like anybody who you would see prior that was working in the rebellion or around the rebellion, you see in this to Darth Maul, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, but, there's always these little kind of through lines like Darth Vader shows up every now and again. Um, and this particular episode is kind of everything that Star Wars can be all at once, or at least the the kind of crux of it, which is the Jedi, which is these kind of, um, what does Alex call them? Ninja, ninja monks. I think that's what he says. Uh, but the thing that's so great about these is these Jedi. And um, with this episode, and why I feel like this is important when coming into Ahsoka, is this episode's a lot. It's called Twilight of the Apprentice. So this has a ton of meaning. So first of all, um, in terms of the characters who are not Ahsoka, let's just get those out of the way. Because then I also think that does pepper in as to why there's so much weight on what happens to Ahsoka in this episode, which I then think puts so much weight on what is going to happen in the show. So, Caden and Ezra are master and apprentice, but they're at this point in this part of the show where... um, and this happens to Luke, this happens to Ahsoka when she's training, this happens to Anakin, is that they're starting to become a point where they're starting to get a little frustrated with the ways of the Jedi, because the ways of the Jedi are tough to get behind sometimes, especially when there is somebody there showing you how much more you can do 
with the dark side. And a lot of ways that people get people influenced into the dark side is a way that's like, which is emotion, is they show people that they always say to pull in your anger and they try to make it something evil. But, you know, Anakin becomes Darth Vader because of love, because of jealousy. Those are other emotions. But, you know, because his unrelenting love for Padme is what makes him so he can't and the attachments, those things that are actually really positive. That's what Luke, Luke is able to bring his father out, bring him back because they're still good in him because of attachments and connections. But, you know, uh, Ezra is at that point where he's, and he's starting to be tempted a little bit by the dark side. And that's where Maul is there. Maul is, again, is somebody in terms of master and apprentice. He was an apprentice to Darcidius, the Emperor Palpatine. He was his apprentice. And now he is a master in search of an apprentice. So because he says this because this is how the Sith operate. The Sith deal, there's all I forget, I think it's somewhere in the it's in the prequels. I want to say maybe in Revenge of the Sith. The Sith deal in absolutes. The Sith's deal in um black and white, good, evil. And there's always two. There's always a master and apprentice in uh, for the Sith. Um, and this is said by Darth Maul. He says there has to be two. It takes two, uh, two people to use the Force to open all the doors in this temple that they get in. So how does this how does this lead to Ahsoka? Ahsoka is a a Jedi. She's not, but she's not. Like, she is steeped in the Force. She has lightsabers, but she is gray. She is in the middle. She is not somebody who has gone to the dark side, but she is not somebody who has fully embraced the ways of the Jedi. She is somewhere in between there. And that's kind of... And her master was Darth Vader. So... The reason why this is, to me, like not just a great episode of Rebels, but why this is great leading into this show is because here she is surrounded by Kanan and Ezra, who are symbolic of the bond that she had with Darth Vader, with Anakin Skywalker, because he was her master and she was the apprentice. So she is right there with someone with two people who are the epitome of a thing that she left. If you don't know the reason why Ahsoka is not in any of the prequels, uh, because she would, in theory, should be in episode three, because the Clone Wars takes place in between episode two and three, it's because she leaves the Jedi Order. She becomes disenfranchised with the Order because she's accused of a crime that she did not commit, and the Jedis basically just leave her to... And they try her and they just don't, they don't believe her because they are all being shrouded by Darcidius. So she leaves the Jedi Order. So here are Kanan and Ezra, who are this symbol of this thing that she has left. And then on the other side is Maul, who is the dark side. So she's literally in between these two things that she is also herself in between. And then the thing... And then at the end of the episode, this is the first time she's ever been reunited face-to-face with Anakin Skywalker, who was her master, and he, she was her Padawan and the, for the first time. And they have this epic lightsaber battle. And in this battle, she actually cracks open his mask. Very, they totally bite this whole thing uh, for the uh, final episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi, the series, they used almost this exact same concept and everything opens it up. They see each other eye to eye and Anakin actually says her name. And then there's this moment there. And we look at where we've been. Like she is no, she is not a Jedi. She is not, this is her master. She was the apprentice. She sees what Kanan and Ezra, that they are a relationship that uh, is having some issues because Ezra is clearly being tempted by the dark side. But then here is this, she is right there in front of somebody who, and it sees how much the dark side can tempt someone. And that's her master right in front of her. This is, 
this is a children's television show that I'm just waxing super poetic about. Amazing. Um, so she then, they do- totally t- took this line from Obi-Wan Kenobi. She then says, um, <sighs> I should have had it memorized. I don't. Uh, something to the effect of, uh, I'm not going to leave you. And uh, she, he says, then you will die. And that's very similar to what happens in Obi-Wan, which he says something to Anakin. And then Anakin says, Anakin, Anakin Skywalker is dead. And so this is this idea that now Ahsoka knows that this person who was her master, person who taught her, no longer exists. And that's what she has. So she's, she is wholly on her own. She can't be a part of who the Jedi are, but like Kanan and Ezra, because of the way she was treated by the Jedi. And she doesn't like that, like no attachments. She, she doesn't like the rigidity of the Jedi Order. However, she sees the other side literally staring at her in the face in her master. And she can't be a part of that either. So that's where Ahsoka operates. That's where we are going to be in this show. It's after the, we don't know where she was during any of the battles, the battle of Endor, if she's with the rebellion, but she's, she is somebody who has all the powers of a Jedi. And in this episode, she not only holds her own against Darth Maul, she not only holds her own against three inquisitors, she holds her own against Darth Vader, who is renowned as Anakin Skywalker's one of the greatest Jedis of all time. So she is a very powerful character, but operates outside of everything. So that's where we're going to be. Now, how does this tie into what we see from other, from other things from the trailer? Sabine Wren is somebody in the show who, the, who is the Mandalorian. She has never been Force-sensitive, but everything we're seeing in this show, she has a lightsaber and a poster. She specifically says, calls Ahsoka, Rosario Dawson's character, master in the trailer. So it leads me to believe that there's going to be some sort of master apprenticeship role, whether it's, I don't know how it's going to play out in this show. So master, that's why, again, this episode is so good because masters, apprentices, there can be only two. There's like that whole teacher thing is a, is a consistent through line throughout, not just Star Wars Rebels and Clone Wars, but throughout Star Wars. So I'm interested to see what that's going to be. I, um, I had a thought and I totally lost it. Um, there is a great fight scene in this uh, series between Ahsoka and Vader, as I said. Oh yeah, this is what it, it leads me because of the fact that we've had um, this episode of Master and Apprentice, Twilight of the Apprentice, um, because Ahsoka is apparently at some point in this show, we don't know what kind of how the time is going to work in this. I think there's because we've seen Sabine with short hair, Sabine with long hair. Traditionally in the show, rebels she has short hair so we're not sure how that's gonna what the timeline is but the fact that if ahsoka is going to be a master and sabine is going to be a padawan which i don't know if that's how what's going to happen that'll be her first time in that relationship and her only other experience is with anakin so i have to feel like hayden christensen darth vader is going to show up in some sort of whether it's going to be um a flashback. We get to see like actual live action Anakin and Ahsoka in Clone Wars live action stuff. That would be pretty cool. Um, I don't know. Or maybe we get a Force Ghost Anakin. Why not? Let's do it. I mean, give me a Force Ghost Anakin. Um, all interesting stuff. So you, this is. Did I do it here? I think I might talk for like, uh, I don't know, 25 minutes about this. I don't want to go much more than an hour, y'all. But this is why I feel, again, to stress why I think this is just good, a good episode. There are other episodes. You can go to Star Wars or Disney+. Plus. They've got a bunch of episodes up there that kind of give you. But I think this is a good one to watch to kind of really set the table as where we're going. Because also Ezra is a character who, at the end of Rebels, spoiler for the end of Rebels, 
goes missing. He's gone. There are these animals that are that are um, part of lore that are introduced in Rebels that are capable of warp or warp flight, but they just there's no you don't know where you're going. They're able to jump, but there's no they can't track it. So Ezra and Thrawn are sent away and they don't know where they are. So they're, you know, at the end, they're trying to find Ezra. So you need to kind of get a sense as to who Ezra is. Ezra is this, and that's why, and that's why Thrawn, that's how they get away with showing why Thrawn and Ezra aren't part of anything that happens in the original trilogy, because they're not there. They've, they've gone away. So we're going to be getting them back. We're going to be really spending time with this crew now we don't get Sabine or Hera, who's the who's the pilot in this episode. You're not going to get Kanan. You're not going to get live action Kanan in Ahsoka unless it's a Force ghost. Because spoiler alert, Kanan dies. So he might be there, but this is a good episode, I think, to get you ready for the show. You're going to meet some of the characters you're going to meet in uh, Rebels. Whew got there. All right. So is this Star Wars or Star Trek? This is definitely Star Wars. It's literally in the title. Um, <laughs> this is Star Wars. Um, the big winner has got to be Ahsoka and Darth Vader. That that fight scene at the end of this is just chef's freaking kiss. So good. So good. So good. And the loser, of course, I mean, day one books and kings don't know where to bust. There's no reason. We are in space. We are in an underground area with temples and holocrons and there is so much guga there are like there are literal people taking their lightsabers there's inquisitors taking their lightsabers and spinning them and using them as helicopters i mean we are in like prime guga there's no reason why we can't just have sam wilson shrimping boat just show up in the middle of that guga i mean i know it's a bit of an ask because this show is from like 2015 and <laughs> Sam, uh, we hadn't even gotten uh, the Captain, uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier by then. But I mean, shoot, you put Jabba the Hutt back in these movies in the first movie and he wasn't in it originally. So, I mean, I don't see any reason why you can't have, you can't have Sam Wilson's boat. You just can't. I'm trying to look up something online while I'm talking. It's great. Um, so I got another ad read here. Um, Alex sent me something, another ad read from beads, beads, beads. Let's see. Beads, beads, beads. Looking for that one of a kind birthday experience for your child? Bring them into beads, 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 and we'll give them an experience they will never forget. We do a special craft with the kids and each kid leaves with their own beaded birthday necklace. Plus cake and no cleanup. Parents, you will love it. Also, parents, if you ask us about the other kind of beads during the party, we have every right to shut the party down with extreme prejudice. You do you. Just please, for the love of Pete, don't ask for those beads. Beads, beads, beads. Um, great. So that's happening. Let's go to our Hoopla recommendations. Hoopla is, of course, the... Um... <sighs> it's been... Got an hour in here. I'm starting to power down. You can put your library card in and you can uh, get a bunch of digital comics uh, great, great place to go. I'm going to recommend, there are no Ahsoka comics that are really, that's something they truly don't have a, uh, a large amount of stuff on, but I will, I will recommend a run of Darth. There's a lot of great Darth Vader comics that you can get, um, digitally. I'm going to recommend, this is from, uh, Greg by Greg Pack. Uh, it's, Really fun. There's a lot of building out. Uh, it basically takes place after Empire Strikes Bath. And it strikes bath. That's what I said. The Empire Strikes Bath. The Empire goes to Bath, England, and just blows it the fuck up. Pardon my French. No, uh, it's called Darth Vader, Dark Heart of the Sith. Check it out. It's a fun one. Uh, I got one more ad read here from the beads. Hold on. Beads, beads, beads. <laughs> You want to put some of those beads up your butt? That's on you because we definitely don't sell those beads. We're a crafting store. And to be clear, we are super sex positive, just super positive that we do not sell those beads at this store. You do you, just don't get us involved. 
Great. So that's beads, beads, beads. Uh, quickly, my dog, as I was watching this last night, what did my dog think? My dog did not leave the bedroom. This was my wife was doing some work in the bedroom while I rewatched this. So the dog just didn't even have the time of day to even like bother to find out what was going on. And that's her. She lives her life and I'm very happy for her. Um, that's it, guys. Y'all, folks, gang, that's what we did. I did it. I did a solid hour there talking about Star Wars. Um, Ahsoka comes out this week. I don't know. I've talked to Alex. I might have to find a co-host. I don't know if I could do talk about two full hours of Ahsoka by myself. I, that might be tough. Um, but you can find me at uh, Kenny G Stevenson on TikTok and Twitch as my dog barked right on cue. <laughs> there she is again. Kenny G Donut King on Instagram and threads. There, thanks, dog. Thanks for listening. Yeah.